Welcome to a new podcast episode of TBA 21 On Stage. As part of the Backstage series, dedicated to celebrating the ocean, in this podcast we'll be listening to scientist and oceanographer Carlos Duarte as he tells us about anthropogenic noise, noise produced by human beings and the machines they make and use. He'll explain how this noise has an impact on marine fauna, but also how, unlike other forms of human pollution, it's possible to reverse this impact. Duarte tells us about the efforts that have been made to understand how sound communication functions in the ocean among different species, and the importance of art in conveying this to the general public in order to put policies into action. This podcast consists of interventions by Carlos Duarte, extracted from his conversation with sound artist Jana Winderen, moderated by curator and researcher José Luis Espejo, that took place at the Museo Nacional Thyssen Bornemitzer as part of the public programme of the exhibition Wutsang of Wales, organised by TBA 21. Jacques Cousteau uh, wrote a book called The Silent uh, uh, World, and that, uh, and that he, in his mind that the ocean will be silent. And I thought that was a big mistake until I uh, discussed it with uh, my friend Alexandra Cousteau, who's the granddaughter of uh, Jacques Cousteau. So we co-founded this organisation called Oceans 2050, a few years ago and I, I, I was asking for, I, I was asking Alexander, so how how did your father thought that the that the ocean was a silent world if it's full of sounds? And no, this is not the, the, the reason for the title. The reason for the title is that when he first took uh, Alexander's father, Philippe as a child, to come and scuba dive in the ocean, then Philippe was so excited that he wanted to talk and he wanted to make sounds and attract uh, Jack's uh, attention to this and that. And then when they surface, he told him, underwater, we don't talk. This is the, we keep silent ourselves. So it's a world where we are silent and we listen to, to, the, to the ocean. So that's, that's the real story behind the silent uh, world. So it is that you don't talk. And in fact, as a scuba diver, I really get annoyed when uh, my scuba buddies want to talk to me. I really get annoyed because when I am underwater, I'm really focused on what I'm doing, what I'm hearing, what I'm experiencing. I don't want my bodies to try to uh, speak uh, to me. So I, I then uh, relate to uh, Jacques Cousteau that in the ocean, we ourselves humans keep silent, but unfortunately we do not. And even though we do not realize, it's not about us trying to talk underwater, it's that we make heaps of sound and, uh, and it's 24 seven, so it never stops. So the cacophony of sound on the water it's a play that really impairs marine life and uh, impacts on their lives in any possible way. But somehow we were not talking about it. We thought that the problems of the oceans are with climate change, they are with pollution, they are with overfishing, with hunting, but nobody was really talking about acoustic pollution. And yet, as a scuba diver myself, I've done maybe about 3,000 dives or something, I've been really annoyed about the noise underwater. I've been uh, diving in the Philippines where there was one uh, dynamite, dynamite uh, explosion underwater, so they were using dynamite to fish every five minutes. And sometimes the dynamite explosions would come close to me and I, you, we cannot really sense direction and distance underwater because we are not equipped to do that. Uh, we will need heads half a meter wide to be able to uh, sense direction of sound underwater. So we, we are not equipped to uh, really interpret sound on the water, but that sound kept coming closer and closer, and I didn't know 
if I was next, was going to be blown up by a dynamite, a dynamite uh, blast underwater. And then uh, more recently, I was working off a uh, naval uh, navy base in Greece. Uh, that was about three years ago, and I was doing my work in a seagrass meadow, and suddenly there was a, a sound. And then I had to come to the surface with all my equipment and so on, running out of air, but it was so loud that I actually thought it was over me, so I kept in the bottom, and I was really stressed about this sound. And I felt empathic about marine life, which does not experience this just once on one day, but for them it's 24 seven. So I wanted to bring that to the public debate and also to the policy debate. How can we uh, stop uh, noise in the ocean and how can we allow the voices of the oceans to be heard again? Sound travels uh, underwater much faster than it does on, uh, on air, so five times faster, but it also travels much uh, farther. There are sounds of waves that have different frequencies, so the low frequency travels really far, and uh, whales can communicate across 500 kilometers or even farther. So in the ocean, we're starting to understand how important uh, sound is for all elements of animal ecology, and not only whales or dolphins, but all the way down to jellyfish, coral larvae, larvae of fish, and even uh, mussels and small invertebrates. They all depend on hearing to us to probe their environment, interpret their environment, and even communicate among themselves. But uh, we are not really fully aware of uh, how important uh, sound is underwater. But I will give you two examples say, of uh, two things I was doing while we were working on this paper. So some of my co-authors were in Western Australia, where I used to work before, in Perth, that is, uh, well, Southwestern Australia. And then uh, they had hydrophones in the water. So I asked them to uh, reproduce a, a recording. And what we could hear, uh, the most prevalent sound in uh, Western Australia at that time, I think it was about uh, November, October. So something like this, it was uh, the spring in the Southern Hemisphere. It was actually ice collapse. So we could hear clearly the collapse of ice on the water and the closest ice to Perth is 4,000 kilometers away in Antarctica. So the main sound in that spot was actually coming from 4,000 kilometers away. And then I logged on to a hydrophone that you can also log on uh, online. So there are webcams, but there are also hydrophones that you can connect to and listen what is happening in the ocean right now. So I connected uh, to a hydrophone in Monterey Bay Aquarium uh, in the coast of California, and that hydrophone uh, is located at 2,000 meters depth. And I thought I would hear mysterious sounds of marine life or, you know, 2,000 meters is really into the deep sea, which is this mysterious environment. But what I could hear then was uh, very clearly the sound of rainfall on the ocean surface. That was the dominant sound at 2,000 meters in the deep sea was rain falling gently on the ocean surface. And then you think, it's only two kilometers, only 2,000 meters, uh, and uh, sound travels very fast underwater, and 2,000 meters is very close. So how do we have this perception of the deep sea is far away, and yet it is acoustically very closely connected to the surface? So every single creature in the deep sea is very much aware of what we do in the surface. 
So I think those two elements, which uh, as a scientist, I shouldn't be surprised, but I was, made me aware of how important uh, sound is as a connector in the ocean. And then marine animals have also learned to use sound in many ways. For instance, uh, whales uh, in the ocean due to uh, different densities of waters, there are acoustic channels. So there are acoustic channels where uh, whales can inject their sound and rather than uh, reach only 500 kilometers uh, away, it can actually reach across basins, 2,000, 3,000 kilometers. And they know exactly where to inject the sound to be able to communicate across ocean bases. So they know, they, they know that. And they also, uh, we did not really understand the role of uh, sound. So I think you've seen, uh, uh, I forgot what the name of the movie, of Searching for Nemo or something like that. So the little uh, fish larvae, the, the clown fish is searching for the reefs. Uh, we also always thought that this happened by, by chance. So the larvae of, for instance, coral reef uh, animals, fish, or even the coral themselves are released in the plankton and they wander in the ocean somehow may, by random uh, processes, they land on the coral reef where they're going to leave their lands. Then we actually found that this is not the case and all of the larvae of fish and other animals actually find home by listening to the sound of home. So they actually hear the reef and hear the sound of a healthy reef and they navigate towards that reef and they settle there. So we understand that the sound of the healthy soundscape is actually what guides even the simplest form of life into finding home. But now they cannot hear the sound of, of home not only because there's a lot of noise in the ocean that masks that sound, but because home is degraded and no longer uh, has a healthy sound. The sound of uh, coral reefs are degraded as coral reefs are degraded. And that voice of home calling the larvae of fish home is gone from much, uh, from much of, the, of the ocean. So now we're working uh, with colleagues in, the, in Australia and in the UK on a new technique to restore coral reefs, which is actually by playing back with underwater uh, loudspeakers, the sound of a healthy reef. And then we accelerate the recovery of reefs because uh, even the larvae of corals come and settle, the fish come and settle, and we are now working on acoustic restoration of underwater landscapes. This is how important uh, sound is. But animals can also play tricks. This morning I was uh, talking to students and I was telling them that the uh, dolphins, which use a high pitch, so the sound of dolphins doesn't travel very far because it's a high pitch, so they're communicating within the group. And they actually have names. And the names of dolphins uh, communicate through a maternal line. So the mother has a name and the mother names the baby uh, dolphins with a name that is a modification of her own name. So they are baptized and named by the mother. So the dolphins are pulling their name in the group. So I'm Carlos, and with the PPP, I'm Carlos, I'm Jana, I'm this. And often in packs of dolphins, there is a, a dominant male that will have a group of uh, females. And that male is, uh, has this harem of females and doesn't allow the younger males to come until then colleagues of mine discover that during the nighttime, when they cannot really see and they depend on sound only, the young males actually call the name of the dominant male as being their own. So then I'm uh, Isidro, 
and I'm the dominant male, and I have four females that I have my harem, and then I Carlos say at night, I'm Isidro. I'm getting here, I'm Isidro. So they, they play tricks with, uh, with sound as well, which actually tell us a bit about the intelligence of these animals, which is akin to, to our own. So the fact that we have not factored in sound and the importance of sound in understanding the ecology of the ocean was a major gap, but sound is very difficult to communicate. You actually have to listen to it. So even the editors of the journal Science, which is uh, along with Nature, the top journal of, uh, in, uh, in scientific communication in the world, uh, they actually did not understand the units of sound, which are units of pressure divided by frequency. So if the editors of the journal don't understand sound, and the units of sound, how are we going to communicate to you what our research means? So that's why how important is sound in a way that you can understand and it's not just based on, on scientific units that very few in the world can decipher, but it's actually based on our own uh, understanding of sound that in fact humans are far better in processing sound than we are in processing uh, image. So we can process sound, which is a very complex signal in the background. We can be doing something and we are processing sound in the background and we, are, we don't need to focus our attention on sound. We are processing sound and sound is extremely important for our own, with, let's say, ecology. But we believe ourselves that we are visual animals. We are not. We are acoustic animals as well. The range of activities that uh, introduce noise in the ocean they don't need to be activities that we do underwater, but for instance, many airports are in coastal areas, in Barcelona, in Malaga, around the world. Uh, and then the dominant noise is actually the landing and taking off of planes underwater. So that's what marine life hears all the time. But the one that is most prevalent is uh, shipping. So the uh, transportation of goods, Amazon, and everything around the ocean is the 24-7 source of noise that there's nowhere in the ocean that escapes from that sound of disturbance. Sure. So that is the number one source of uh, noise. There are many others, and explosives. I mentioned about dynamite blast in the Philippines, but even in Europe, in the North Sea of the coast of Belgium, there is one uh, blast of a bomb uh, left from World War II every day. And trolling uh, vessels then accidentally hit a bomb that is in the seafloor and explodes. That happens once a day. So we have blastings underwater, we have shipping, and all of that uh, activity of humans is introducing a lot of noise. But unlike, uh, unlike climate change and pollution, chemical pollution and other impacts of humans on the, on the marine environment, uh, the noise is very easy to fix. If we remove the noise, the ecosystem recovers almost immediately. So during the COVID pandemic, we assembled a group of scientists around the world to monitor the response of uh, marine life, but also life on land marine life to the confinement of humans. So for the first time, rather than us being exp expulsing and, uh, and kicking out marine life from their own domain, we ourselves confine ourselves. So in the 6th of April of 2020, we reached the peak of human confinement and 60% of the global population was uh, confined at home due to uh, regulations by governments to uh, avoid the spread of the, of the pandemic. So then uh, this noise, the level of noise around the coastal ocean decreased by 30%. 30% may not seem a lot, but then along with that decrease in noise, 
it came reports from all around the oceans of uh, marine life being seen near baby sea waterways, harbors, and places where they had not been seen by decades. So just imagine that we were able to reduce noise by just one third. That would really allow marine life to reclaim their former territories. And we will enjoy uh, whales from the shore. We will enjoy marine life even in the canals of Venice. There were uh, sightings of animals everywhere because Venice was quiet for the first time in decades also. So it's very rapid response to the reduction of noise. It, the, the, the disturbance stops immediately. And in fact, uh, there's a connection with climate change because the main source of noise from shipping is the cavitation of the propellers. So it's not the noise from the motor, but the propellers of the vessels are not perfectly designed. So they vibrate and then uh, some of the energy rather than a propel the vessel is actually dissipated in a vibration and pressure is noise. So it generates that noise and the prevalent source of noise comes from propellers. So for instance, the shipping company Maersk uh, retrofitted five of their big shipping uh, container uh, vessels and uh, placed a much better propellers that reduce cavitation. Not only noise went down, but also the energy efficiency increased by 6% because rather than dissipate energy in a vibration and noise, that energy was used to uh, propel the vessel. So it will reduce greenhouse gas emissions, it will improve uh, energy efficiency of vessels, and it will make the ocean quieter. Maybe one uh, reason why need to, uh, we scientists need to work with artists on underwater sound, not only noise, but also sound, is that we are still in a very exploratory uh, phase. So on land, we almost understand every, every sound that we can hear, we can catalog what that is. And there's a full catalog of the singing of every single bird species. But when we uh, listen to the acoustic landscape of the ocean, there are many sounds that we cannot really uh, categorize. We have no idea what we're listening to. And during many uh, decades, I would say, the sound of fish was uh, considered to be mechanical sounds because the fish do not vocalize with air, obviously, but they, they use their uh, swimming bladder and uh, changes in the, in the volume of the swimming uh, ladder, uh, bladder to make, a, to make a sound, and it sounds like a drum. So boom, 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 it sounds like a drum. It sounds like a mechanical sound. And for most fish, we can hear, now we understand those are fish, but we have no idea which species is making that noise. And we discovered, uh, I, I think that the latest discovery is uh, manta rays actually uh, also communicate with sound. We didn't know that until maybe uh, this year, 2023. So we're still mapping out what, who are making the sounds that we hear on the underwater landscape. He's a scientist, actually a Spanish scientist, uh, but works in Victoria, University of Victoria in Canada. So he uh, goes around the ocean making what he calls fish auditions. So he collects, uh, works with fishermen to collect as many fish as possible, different species, and he puts them on an acoustically isolated barrel and then records the fish. And he calls that auditions. So then the next time you hear that sound, you know that is this fish species. We're still in that primitive state. When uh, we were meeting to write this paper, he was just back from the Amazonia, 
where he was doing peace auditions. So he was very popular about the, among the local people, like these crazy people that are actually making auditions to feast. But we're still in this uh, primitive state, think that now in these preliminary, preliminary phases of uh, science, even probably in advanced phases, we really depend on that insight from artists to advance in our understanding. And I think there are many things that link science and art. One of that is that, uh, well, driven by curiosity, if you wish, but also there is one principle that is parsimony. That is the oldest principle in science that I think, I believe is common to art and science. We don't want either scientists nor, nor artists want to make a perfect reproduction of the reality. We want to capture the essence of reality in the most simple possible way. So this principle of parsimony, uh, Albert Einstein is probably the one that formulated in the best way, which is things in science, and I would say in art, should be as simple as possible, but no simpler. So that's what brings us in common. And there's one, uh, one sound that I stopped hearing from the ocean that I want to hear it back. And I didn't know what it was uh, when I was hearing that, that sound. And I actually thought it was my, something wrong with my ears when I was hearing that. Because sometimes when I was scuba diving in a seagrass meadows or kelp forest, I was hearing something that uh, sounded like uh, bells, like soft bells, a clicking of a, a scintillation of bells. And I had no idea what that was. So that was actually published in 2021, what that is, and it's the sound of photosynthesis. So when you uh, scuba dive in a seagrass meadow or a kelp forest during the midday, you see the plants uh, full of bubbles that are oxygen bubbles. And if they are below two meters depth, then the bubbles are released and then rise to the surface. And as the pressure uh, decreases, the bubbles grow. And at one size, they become unstable and they burst. And that bursting makes a sound in a particular frequency that is the same frequency as bells. Right, so just imagine hundreds of thousands of bubbles rising to the surface and making this sound of photosynthesis. So I would like to hear in Venice the sound of photosynthesis coming from seagrass, and I would like to hear it again in the, in the ocean, but it needs to be quiet to hear that. There's no uh, policy in the world that regulates underwater noise. In fact, the European Union is the only one in the marine directive that recognizes noise as being one pressure on the marine environment, but otherwise there's really no policy to, uh, to reduce uh, the impact of uh, noise. Uh, policymakers do not act generally on their own intent. They act to solve problems that are important for their constituency. So if the public has no concern about noise underwater, they're not going to do anything about it because it will not come from there. They have many problems to handle and they will try to uh, take action on the problems for which they see a demand from, their, from the public. And that's even regardless of a political system and so on. So I believe that it's important that the public and yourselves are committed with understanding this problem and, and demanding that there will be a, a solution to this problem. And then policymakers will start to listen and will do something about it. But without anybody really raising their voice, and I don't have a, a loud voice, I have a very small voice. So the public not raising their voice to, uh, 
to demand that this be solved, then nobody's going to do anything about it. So it's very easy to solve because there's only one organization can really fix a lot of the problem that is the, the international maritime organization. Nobody really thinks of them as being an actor in ocean uh, conservation, but they are. For instance, when a, when a, a very dramatic oil spill, uh, Exxon Valdez happened in Alaska, um, international maritime organization, because then they regulated that the uh, tankers need to have a double hull, right? So for those of you who are my age or a bit younger, then you remember growing up with news about oil spills almost every year, everyone uh, stronger and harder than the previous one. But over the last two decades, we haven't really heard much about oil spills. The reality is that that policy introduced by the International Maritime Organization then has reduced oil spills to 10% uh, in one decade, right? So now it's no longer a problem, and it seemed, it seemed like a problem that we were locked into, but that organization regulated that all vessels that are oil tankers need to have a double hull, and now we, we are not completely free from oil problems, but we have really made a lot of progress. If they, will, if they were to regulate maximum noise levels in vessels, that will have an immediate impact in the ocean. But why are they going to do that on their own if there is no demand from the public to do that? So we need to have your voices, your commitment with uh, fixing the problem. And mm, few of you read the journal Science. So arts is a strong vehicle to communicate. And sports is a very strong vehicle to communicate. And in a polarized world where mm, political parties are unable to work together, or even countries across ge geographical divides are unable to work together, then really arts and sports are the big unifiers. TBA 21 on stage as editor-in-chief is Francesca thiessen Bonamitza, content curator Soledad Gutierrez, curatorial assistant John Aranguren, Project Manager, Nina Speranda. Audio Editor, Roberto Bossoms. Theme Music, Carl Michael von Hauswolf. And I am Madeline Robinson. Thank you for listening. <laughs>